Amen, church. As we continue in our time of worship, uh, I would ask you to join me as we confess the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Yeah? Cool. Uh, my name is Marco. I serve here at Storehouse McAllen as the preaching and teaching pastor. Uh, this morning, I'm not going to be preaching. I'm going to introduce to you uh, another preacher from Austin. Uh, but before I jump into that, uh, about twice a month, we do this thing called Missions Moment. Uh, Missions Moment is an opportunity for us to inform you of what we go of what we have going on behind the scenes, everything from our missional partnerships and how that's looking and how you can get involved to things like church planting. One of uh, the pieces of my job is to dive in and invest into the ministry of church planting. Now for us, that means a variety of things here at Storehouse. When it comes to church planting, uh, one of our goals is to plant a church in the future. But in addition to that, we want to partner with other like-minded churches and we also want to financially support church plants and church planters, because when it comes to the planting of a church and the ministry of God's word and all the things that come in there, there are a significant a variety of pressures. And so, man, if we could help to alleviate some of those, particularly some of those financial burdens, we want to do so. One of the churches, one of the church planters that we support uh, is Refuge Community Church that's going to be planted in uh, southeast Austin, Texas in the spring. Uh, the pastor, the lead pastor, the planting pastor, his name is Josh Guerrero. We're gonna, uh, he's actually going to be preaching to you this morning, so I'm excited uh, to hear him preach. I'm excited to do his thing. He is a great friend to me. Uh, it has been cool to have him and his family here this weekend, um, uh, and so, man, I want you guys to dive in with him as he preaches the word. I'm excited to sit under his teaching. But before any of that, as we move forward as a church, Storehouse McAllen is supporting Refuge Community Church. And so one of the things that we love to do is to build relationships. And so this isn't going to be the only time you get to hang out and see Josh. Uh, this is going to be one of many, and I'm really excited for that. And so uh, if you guys want to know more about our church, planting efforts, why we support church plans or how that works. Come talk to me afterwards. We do have a members class after service and I'll talk a little bit about that. No, I won't. I'm doing that next week. But the members class is still going on today. Uh, <laughs> apart from that, that's all I have. Uh, again, Josh Guerrero is going to come up. He's from Austin. He's going to be the planting pastor at Refuge Community Church. Join me in prayer as he preps to bring us the word and as we continue to worship in our time. God, in this time, man, I pray that our hearts would not only be softened, but that our hearts would be prepared to receive what you have for us through Pastor Josh. God, I pray that our hearts would be softened for the purpose of being challenged, for the purpose of being comforted, 
and for the purpose of being convicted by you, Holy Spirit. God, I pray in this time that this would be for your glory and our good. I pray that actually that Josh would be set aside in Holy Spirit, that it would be you working through him and working in the hearts and minds of our brothers and sisters here. God, we are thankful for this time. We are thankful for your word, and we are thankful for the preaching of your word, the faithful preaching of your word. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, before we... Yo, my man Jonathan, you excited, bro. I appreciate you. All right. Uh, before we get started, I'm going to set a timer that we went out here till like after the membership class. So uh, good morning. How y'all guys doing? That was like some decent class participation. I'm feeling that, but I feel like I'm going to ask it one more time, see if we can get like another 20% involved in that. So uh, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Oh, yes. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. Hey. All right. So as Marco mentioned, man, that got me so excited. Y'all don't even know. Uh, so as Marco mentioned, my name's Josh here visiting with my lovely wife, Rachel. Our daughter, Leah, somewhere uh, up in that, like, that area uh, with the kids. Uh, we in tow have our son, uh, I believe, we think his name is going to be Jude, but let me be really transparent. I don't want to set that in stone yet. So Jude, uh, maybe he will be here in about four weeks. We have him in tow with my wife here. Uh, and yeah, so I'm, we're just so excited to be here. Um, Marco mentioned Planning Refuge Community Church, Southeast Austin. It's a, uh, I would say diverse and rapidly changing uh, inner city community, uh, not here, <laughs> there in Austin, Texas. And uh, man, we, uh, we fell in love with it. We're in love with it. And so um, really excited about that. As Marco mentioned, uh, man, he's been like a friend and um, an aide and a mentor to me in a lot of ways uh, during our planting process so far. And so I want to say thank you to him. Uh, but in a lot of ways, man, I want to take a second and say thank you to you um, because it's through your efforts in giving your resources, in serving this church, in volunteering, in being a part of the community, when you are actually at work and, prov- and, and just working through uh, Storehouse here, you're empowering him to really be able to set aside that time he just talked about with, with really working with church planters. And so I want to tell you, man, like what you do here, your involvement in this church, like you being a part of this community, it matters. It matters to like, like, like me, right? It matters to the city of McAllen. It matters to Austin, Texas now. It matters into various places in the world and in the country uh, because of what you're doing here. And so I want to encourage you, man, keep doing what you're doing. Like come to church, be a part of community, like, like confess, be a part of discipleship, uh, uh, give, serve, man, do those things. Because what you're doing here is important. It matters and it has reach and it glorifies God. And so in a lot of ways, I want to say thank you to you. I think about Philippians 1, where Paul talks to the Philippian church and says, thank you for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Thank you that you've been with me in my specific role in in taking the gospel across the world. And and I think of that and I relate to it so much when I look at you. And so I want to say thank you um, for that. Seriously, thank you. And thank you, my man. I appreciate it. Um, Yo, okay. So, going to rain in all the emotion. Hold on one second. Uh, by the way, if I use some colloquialisms like yo or mad, all right, I'm not saying that I'm angry. I'm saying like mad equates to like there's a lot of this, right? So it'd be like, yo, I'm mad upset. It'd be like, I'm very upset. 
All right, I'm mad excited. I'm very excited. All right, so like I'll try to, I'll, I'm gonna try to edit out most of them to make sure that we're, we're clear communication, but I'm gonna let y'all know right now I'm not gonna get all of them. They're definitely gonna slip through here and there. It's just what it is. Uh, but what was that? Let it go. That's what, okay, I appreciate you. I appreciate the encouragement. All right, also as much feedback as you guys wanna give me, I will take it. And I'll probably interact with you a little bit. That if that makes you feel awkward, I'm sorry about that. Like that's, then maybe you shouldn't, but I encourage you to still. What we're going to be doing today is, uh, as Marco mentioned, we're going to be in uh, talking about the Apostles' Creed, specifically the forgiveness of sins. And man, when he gave me kind of a list of some of the options that, that, that in terms of like dates and stuff, he mentioned this one and I jumped at the chance because such an incredible topic, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, such an incredible, I mean, an incredible sermon series. The fact that you guys are working through the Apostles' Creed, one of the ancient forms of like affirmation to our faith, what we believe uh, as Christians and as followers of Jesus. But this specific aspect and this specific section, right, talking about the forgiveness of sins, really forming the backbone of our beliefs in terms of Christianity and following Christ. I just jumped at the chance. Um, and so what I usually do is I try to set up a bit of like, uh, I use a story at the beginning to get us in like a little bit of the right mind frame. Okay. It's not going to tell you everything the sermon's about, but I feel like if we can get a framework for the emotions, the feelings, the ideas that we're going to be working through today, man, that'll help us as we move forward. And so some of you guys know some of them, like some of you that we hung out with last night, but man, we like Friday night just got back into town from LA. And so that's how you know, if you have any question about how much I love you, like for real, for real, we got back into LA and we got back into Austin from LA. Like what time was it, babe? We got to the airport at like 11.30, 11.30 PM, got home like 12.45 the next morning. We would jump, we we're like, we're going to McAllen. All right. So I love you. I got mad love for you. See, I got a lot of love for you. Uh, but, but um, we, we had a fantastic time. I fell in love with LA. I liked it a lot. Not as much as I love Texas, but I liked it a lot. Uh, and if you grew up like me, Mexican-American cat, you love like LA because there's so much like, it was like the cornerstone to the culture in a lot of ways during the 90s, 90s and 2000s, right? You had like American Me and Blood In, Blood Out and Born In East LA and Stand and Deliver, like Edward James almost everywhere, man. And so it was like, yo, this is like the spot for me. So we're going, we're excited. We love it. I'm having a good time. We went to East LA, had bomb tacos. All right. We, but it was a great time. One thing, admittedly, that would have made it a ton easier, a ton easier, is if we didn't have a 19-month-old human being going crazy every, like, two hours because she was freaking out about, like, whether she was hungry or tired or inconvenienced or whatever the case is, right? Like, we would have made it so much easier, admittedly, so much easier. But I want to stress, it would have made it easier. It not necessarily, it didn't necessarily make it better, because I, I, I want to like affirm that, man, we had the option to leave our daughter home and maybe that would have been the better decision. But uh, man, we wanted her with us. We wanted her with us so much. And so I do not regret taking my 19-month-old daughter across the country and spending five days in another place with her crying and messing up her schedule. I don't regret it one bit, primarily because, uh, man, it brought joy to us to have her with us. It brought joy to us. We love her. We, we were overjoyed to have her with us, just to, just to be in her presence. I understand, I completely understand that she is not going to remember anything from that trip. I don't remember. The, my, first, my first memory was when I was four, and it was going to see The Lion King. So I know that she is legitimately far away from having her first memory. And so at 19 months old, she is not going to remember much about what we got to see. 
I also recognize that she's not going to have any real understanding of the sacrifice required to bring her, to house her, to feed her, to care for her, to take time out of our schedule to make sure she's cared for and to sleep. I fully recognize that. The thing that I gained from that trip bringing her was surely that I got to be with her. My joy was to see her and to be with her. When we walked down Santa Monica Pier and we looked out at the oceans and the mountains and I saw her face light up with this sort of excitement and awe to see something she had never seen before. And when I got to see her, look at all the colors and the people at Santa Monica Pier and have that like huge, I don't know her, but she smiles a lot, laughing and giggling. Man, that right there was enough. That brought me joy. That was going to be enough for me. What I, what I will admit, though, is that it, it would not hurt her to understand exactly how much went into getting her there, though. Because I'm going to admit, the plane ride was horrible. <laughs> and you know what, what's crazy is that if she fully understood, right, how much it went, how much went into getting her there with us, man, the freakouts that she was having probably would have gone down a million percent. Right? She would have looked at me, looked at her mom, and gone like, man, they've already spent so much money getting me here. They, they, they feed me. They lodge me. Yo, if I'm tired right now, based on history with them, I'm probably not going to be tired for long. And you know, if I'm hungry right now, based on my history with them and them really loving on me and caring for me, I'm probably not going to be tired or hungry long or whatever I just said. Like, like the reality there was that if she would have taken one second to think through how much we had done for her, how much we cared for, the anxieties of that moment would have gone away. Alas, she's 19 months old, so none of that happened. But what I'm saying is that, man, the awareness of the love and care and affection that her parents have for her simply would change things for her experience. And I want to submit before you that, man, that is a lot of what happens with the forgiveness of our sins. That is a lot of what happens with the grace of God. That we have these moments where we, we come to church and maybe some of us have placed our faith in Jesus and we're here and we consider ourselves a Christian and that is enough to get us on the trip. And then we're here and we're with God. But the thing is, we have these anxieties and they fill our heart and they fill our mind and they fill like, like all these anxieties in our heart. And all of a sudden we forget everything that happened and we just start crying. We just start getting frustrated, flustered. I really appreciate whoever this is over here. This mm-hmm is going to give me life for about the next 25 minutes. All right. So, so man, it, 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 it really, this is what we do, though, primarily because we lose the weight of what it costs Christ to deliver us in forgiveness. And as we lose that weight, when we lose that weight, we end up forgetting what God's grace and forgiveness does in our life today right now. We forget to look back at it, and we forget to apply it to where we are right now. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time is I want to go to Scripture. I want to gain a reminder, okay, of, of what the cost of forgiveness was. And from there, I want to take the next few minutes to understand what exactly that forgiveness does in our lives right now, what it does, excuse me, in your life right now, what it does in my life right now. Can we do that together? My people. Okay, so we're going to be in Ephesians 1. If you want to get your Bible, uh, go ahead and open it. We're going to generally park here for a while, but uh, we may move around a little bit. We'll just have to kind of feel that out. Uh, 
if you do not have a Bible, I believe there should be one around you, something like that. Uh, man, if you don't have one, grab that, open it up, read from it. If you don't own a Bible, take that with you. I hope I didn't do nothing wrong right there, bro. If I'm costing you Bibles, my bad. Um, so we're going to be in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 7. We're going to go kind of chunk by chunk, so we're only going to read one verse. Uh, it should be on the screen behind me, but go ahead and let's start. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Okay, so starting here in Ephesians, before we jump into, I'm sorry, can we put that back up? Uh, before we jump into this, I want to give you a bit of a backdrop, um, a bit of a backdrop for this specific text. Um, Ephesians was written by Paul. I'm assuming a, a lot of you guys probably had that one figured out, but it was written uh, after Paul had gone to actually plant this church. In Acts 19, it tells the story of Paul actually going to Ephesus and really planting, evangelizing, and seeing a community of faith born there in the city. Uh, the city of Ephesus, though, was actually really, and by the way, if you didn't know, Ephesians and Ephesus, that's like the people from Ephesus are known as the Ephesians, all right, just to clear that up. But Ephesus was a really neat place in the sense that it was, one, the capital of Asia during that time. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey now, but back then it was, a, I mean, a big city, big city, really transient. Everyone from around Ephesus would pour into Ephesus, and then they would leave Ephesus, so it kind of had a transient nature. In addition, man, it was like this, this, this kind of economic hub, but it was also a religious hub. Uh, they had a temple specifically dedicated to the goddess Artemis. And that goddess, right, she promised fertility and she promised like sexual gratification. And so the worship of Artemis largely would involve prostitution. It would involve just, just the misuse of sex at large. And so it was really intense. In addition, Artemis was known to be the head of Ephesus. Like, like Ephesus was, was, was blessed and cared for by Artemis is how they understood it. Because they were the home of her primary temple, they saw Artemis, this god of being like, like the goddess that cared for them. And so when Paul went in, you can imagine how it would have conflicted when he came in and started using words like, no, no, Christ is the head. And, and, and life only comes through Christ. And, and he brings satisfaction. He brings wholeness. He brings completion. And so, man, this was so intense, right? The, Ephe the Ephesian people, the city of Ephesus, attached themselves so much to this goddess that, that when, in Acts 19, when, when Paul's really conflicting their beliefs, an entire riot starts based off of the pride they have in defending her honor. And so it's, when, when Paul leaves a few years later and he sends back this letter, it's into this really intense environment. ESPN, y'all, my bad. Uh, it's into this really intense environment that he shoots this letter reaffirming his teachings in the gospel, saying, hey, man, this is what we believe. And, and it's in these specific texts that we're going today because one of the, one of the backbones to his teaching, one of the backbones uh, to his gospel presentation was the reality of the forgiveness of sins. And so when we jump in at Ephesians 1, 7, and it says, in him we have redemption through his blood. This is something that when we read it today, right, all, like most of us here are Christians or we have a certain interest in Jesus, so we're coming here and we were open to it. We also understand this concept pretty well because I mean like, like it's Jesus and like his blood and like communion, you know? But, but when you were an ancient reader in a city known to be cared for by another god, all right, and you got this letter, and the letter looked at you and said, you've been redeemed through that person's blood. 
it would have automatically stood up to you and had this huge contrast that would have really told a story that, that, that's not written down right here, per se. Because it was a narrative that looked at the readers and said, man, you had a debt and this person paid it. And the debt you had was a debt of blood and death and judgment, but someone else took that for you. So what Paul's doing here when he says, man, you have gained redemption through his blood is painting and explaining the grand narrative of redemption, the story of salvation that had taken place before Jesus even came. He's explaining in so many words, in just that one quick phrase, right, that, man, there was a time and a beginning where God crafted and formed a world that was sinless and was beautiful and was good, but humanity rebelled against the rule of God and decided to take it upon itself to rule, not just over the land, but to rule in our own minds and hearts, that we would be able to gauge and create the definition of good and of evil. And in doing so, humanity thought it was gaining life and freedom, but really gained bondage and death. Because it's in that rebellion that we actually gain the judgment of God. The righteous king who had made this world and who rules it according to his own good character. And now humanity is faced and contrasted with this righteous and good God that is looking back at us and going, man, as a good righteous king, I have to judge you. And your debt is death. And then here comes Paul piercing that story and going, but your debt has been paid by someone else's blood. Your debt's been paid by someone else's blood. You see, when, when, when it was us, humanity, that lived as people who were sexually disobedient, it was God in Christ who lived as one who was sexually obedient so that those who were you know, sexually disobedient could be seen as holy and pure by God. It's the same thing that happened on the cross with the, with the thieves to the side. It was, it was Christ who lived a perfect life without thievery, without robbery, so that those who were thieves like you and I, stealing whether it be a grape or robbing God of his glory to glorify ourselves, would be treated before God as someone who had never thought about stealing something before. It was the actual act of exchanging God's righteousness and beauty for our death and debt. And so when we sit here today, right? You may not feel the weight of this, but when you sit in the chair today, you're sitting in the reality that you have been redeemed and forgiven and made new because someone else has paid your debt. Amen. <laughs> that's, yeah, I'm in love with this corner right now. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, that's the reality we're sitting in. Okay, that's the reality we're sitting in. And so what we oftentimes do is that reality, we tend to forget that. We tend to forget that and all the implications and things that come from it. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time together, which honestly is not that long, what I want to do is actually just, just pull out three takeaways, three takeaways from that reality, right? This bears, I want, I want you to look at me for a second. Look at me for one second. Just ignore everything else. Look at me for one second. Man, what we just talked about, the blood of Christ forgiving and redeeming and saving us, man, it's not just a momentary thing. It's affecting you right now. If you allow it to, it's affecting and impacting you right now. It's not that it's a single moment that happened 2,000 years ago with Jesus on a cross. It is a point we return back to over 
and over and over again for life and for the renewal of, of our life. I'm not gonna lie, I totally forgot I made that slide. Um, but man, that's the beauty of this forgiveness. So what we wanna do is we wanna draw three takeaways based on that huge reality for us to work through and understand exactly how we're interacting or possibly how we're failing to interact with God's grace and with the forgiveness of our sins right now. And so those three points are going to be this. I, I kind of want to lay them out to you so you know where we're going. One, that forgiveness redeems. Forgiveness redeems. The second one is that forgiveness um, sustains. I think there's a slide with all three of them on there. Yeah. Forgiveness sustains. And the third one is that forgiveness unites. And so briefly, I want to just work through those three as we close up today to start seeing exactly how we're interacting with this reality of God's grace. Okay, the first one is that forgiveness redeems. Going back to verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That word redemption, that word redemption it's a word that literally in the ancient language meant that it was like a, a, a payment of a debt or the liberation by the payment of a debt. It was often used for slaves. I don't mean like chattel slaves like we had here in America, like during our slavery period. I'm not saying that. I mean indentured servitude like we had in the scriptural times, right? And what that meant is that someone could give themselves even into slavery because they had a debt that they owed, and as a result, they worked as a slave for their master until that debt was paid, resulting in their freedom. And so when Paul understands, when he's teaching us, yo, this blood has forgiven and redeemed you, what he's saying is this blood has taken you from a position of being a slave to liberated. And he wants to create that contrast. You, you're taken from a place where you are worthless to having all the worth right? You're, you're taking from a place of being lowly to a place of being high. It, it, he's trying to paint this contrast to help you see that this blood of Jesus has done something to take you from where you were and place you in a place where only Christ really deserves. And let, let me tell you, it's super easy for us to hear this and be like, yeah, yeah, no, I believe that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah no, for sure. Like I'm, I'm like, a, like a son of God, right? Like, yeah, 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 I, I got that. But when it's much harder is when you mess up at work and your boss scolds you and you feel this big and all of a sudden you're not any of those things anymore. That's when it's much harder. When it's much harder is when you are drowning with your kids and your family and your spouse and all of a sudden you feel like a failure and all these things about you being this new creation and being a son or daughter of God, none of those things are there anymore. Because all you see in the mirror is a failure. It's much harder when we fail and we look in the mirror and maybe everyone else around us is praising us and going, man, you're doing a great job in life. Like you're killing it in your job, your family, everything. But when you look in the mirror, you know all the secrets that are behind every one of those compliments. And in your own eyes, in your own eyes, it's so hard to see this reality because all you see is the one you want to see, which is that failure looking back at you in the mirror. Right? This, this reality is one that we can breeze over and go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah no, I got it. But the challenge of living this, of depending on this grace, depending on this forgiveness in your day-to-day -day life is much, much more challenging. Because every one of those voices, every one of those voices becomes louder than the voice of the ultimate God looking at you and going, no, 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 you're forgiven. No, you're redeemed. No, you're mine. That's much, much harder. 
that's much harder. And the reality becomes, man, that, that when we do not turn back and go, man, God, wh- how can I revisit this forgiveness of sins and remind myself what this means to me, what this does for me, right? If I'm not doing that, I will let other voices or my own voice rule over me when Christ died so that he would rule over me. Not anyone else, including myself. And so, man, how, how do we fight against that? How do we fight against that? Because the reality is, man, we're struggling. People are struggling with us. I mean, like, we're failing. What's going on? Well, that leads us to the second point, that, man, forgiveness doesn't just redeem. Forgiveness also sustains. Forgiveness sustains. I want to point you not to Ephesians, but I want us to go briefly to Titus 2. And you don't got to turn there. We're only going to be there for like 0.5 seconds, but it's going to be on the screen. All right, 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So I want you to take a look at this because oftentimes everything I just said is true for, I would guess, like 105% of us in here, that we all have this tendency to think through forgiveness, to think through grace in a way that makes us self-reliant, depend on ourselves for proving that we've earned God's grace or proving that we earn God's affection. And when we fail, when we sin, right, when we do what we know is not right, we have this tendency to get back in our shell and go, okay, similar to Adam and Eve, I've, I've, I've sinned, I feel like I've disappointed God, so I'm going to go create something like a, like a bush to put over myself so that I can clean myself up and then come back out to God and be like, no, we're good though. We're good, though. I mean, you were good. But to depend on forgiveness and grace, to depend on that, is not about going and turning to yourself. In fact, what Paul's saying here is the opposite is true. That when you fail, yo, I've struggled with this like 58 million times. Uh, when you fail, in actuality, what you're meant to do is return back to this God. Because the grace of God has now appeared and 12, and that grace trains us to renounce ungodliness. So what trains us to renounce ungodliness? Our own shame? Our own guilt? Our own self-punishment? The expectation that God is this big bad guy in the sky with a gavel ready to come down and judge us and punish us? Wrong. The thing that trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions is when we come back to God and go, man, I failed again. And he goes, you're forgiven again. You're forgiven again. You're forgiven. That thing that you thought was going to give you life when you were seeking it and just gave you death, you come back to me and I give you life. And as that rhythm begins to build, as that rhythm begins to take its place in your life, all of a sudden you start looking at the things that tempt you, you start looking at the things that hurt you, and you go, you know what? I don't think I need that. I don't think I need that. Because I keep coming back to this person over here, and this person over here, man, he keeps giving me life. He keeps filling me with joy. He keeps giving me the things that these things keep failing at giving me. I, I, you know what? I, I don't need that anymore. I, I'll, actually, I'm going to put, man, I'm trying to look for the kids so I can know what I, what I can and cannot say right now. Uh, I, I don't need to watch that anymore. I'll say it like that. I don't need to look at that anymore. 
I don't need to drink that anymore. I don't need to smoke that anymore. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying nothing about like, like a, a good beer occasionally. I'm just saying that there's some people to go overboard with. That's all I'm saying, all right? I don't need those things. I don't need those things because this person keeps giving me life. And so how do you fight? How do you fight those voices that keep coming to you and going, man, you're a failure. Man, you've messed up. Go hide. Don't go to God. Man, 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 you're little. You're small. How do you fight that? Man, you go to God. You go to God with your failure. You go to God with your mistake. You go to God with your shame. You go to God with your embarrassment. You go to God with your hesitation. You go to God any way you can. And the most beautiful part about it is that he gives nothing but this love and affection that goes, man, the fact that you've come to me shows that you know me. And when you know me, you know that I'm gracious and I'm kind. So you're forgiven. And it keeps reminding you. It keeps reminding you. It keeps reminding you. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of this grace. That's the beauty of this forgiveness. But let me, let me tell you one thing. Let me tell you one thing. Man, you are not going to do that alone. You are not going to do that alone. And let me tell you, man, let me just say it more plainly. You are going to fail at that alone. You are going to fail at that if you do it by yourself. If you think you're going to walk out of here and not go to community groups or missional communities, right? Mark was like, whatever, dog. Uh, missional communities, you're not going to like, be in relationship with anybody else in this church. You're going to be isolated. If you think you're going to go out and do all these things without doing any of those other things, I'm letting you know you're going to fail. Primarily because, man, that's an overwhelming battle. Like, like God didn't give all this to us so that we could shoulder and figure out on our own. Man, he gave us a community of people. Like, like take a second right now. Like, just take a second. I don't, I don't know how often you do this, but just don't look at me. This I know the second ago, I was like, look at me, but don't look at me right now. Like, look around the room for a second. Look around the room. Don't look at me. Look around the room. Look around. There's people sitting on the little, what's it called? Those, you're not forgotten. Y'all are over there in the corner underneath the stairs. Look at them too. All right. <laughs> I have people up there. Uh, what, what was her name on the, on the, on the slides? Yeah. Kathy, Kathy, we see you too, girl. All right. Look at all these people. Look at all of them. They're all going through what you're going through. They're all going through what you're going through. It sometimes feels hard because we don't realize when we look to the person sitting like six chairs this way, that they're in the exact same position as me. And so that's what the beauty of the last thing that forgiveness does, is that forgiveness unites. Forgiveness unites. It brings us together. This, this mystery, all right, let, let's actually go back to Ephesians 1. And we're going to read 8 through 10 now, okay? 8, which he lavished, talking about his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So, so check it out. That, to unite all things in him, right before that, I think it's in verse 9, it says that there is a mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. Well, later on in the book, 
in chapter 3, verse 6, Paul actually says what that mystery is. He says, man, that mystery is that now the Gentiles, the non-Jews, right, man, now they are co-heirs with us in glorifying, serving, obeying, and being loved and loving this Jesus. And what that communicated, what that communicated, what it was intended to communicate was that, man, God had formed a family. God had formed a community, a community that was going to likewise carry one another's burdens, not just financially. You can go to Acts 2, Acts 3, and see how awesome like they were in terms of being generous, but also to carry each other's burdens spiritually. That when one needed the reminder that God had forgiven them, that God had graced them, that God was with them, they would now turn to the person next to them in the community. And it didn't matter if they were white. It didn't matter if they were black. It didn't matter if they were Asian. It didn't matter if they were Hispanic. God was bringing all people together so that all people could point one another back to him. And go, no, 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 man. Like, in fact, I, I want to point out in, in scripture, this is not going to be on the screen, but like in James, in James, it says like, yo, man, if you, if you can't be healed, go confess to your brother your sins so that, so that you may be healed. Commentators believe that a part of that was that the actual idea of being forgiven and loved by God in a lot of our minds is so abstract that we don't get it. But when you come to your brother, when you come to your sister, and you go, hey man, I need to confess this to you. And that brother, that sister goes, man, hugs, it's okay. You're forgiven. In that moment, the arms, the hands, the voice, of Jesus is literally communicating, man, you're, you're actually forgiven. You're, you're actually forgiven. I, I tangibly see and experience and am reminded and am encountered and interact with God's grace when I actually do it with my family, with my community, with the people that are on this journey with me. Man, the people that we all just took a second to look at Those are the people that are intended, that God gave you as a means to point you back to him when those voices come flying in. And you know, man, I need to return to this voice that has forgiven me, that declares me righteous, and that steers me into obedience and love and affection and and holiness and righteousness. I need that voice. These are the people that are meant to direct you there, the ones sitting in here. And so when we think about forgiveness, one— realize that the people all around you, man, they're all going through the same thing, but also realize that you are meant to be that for someone else as well. And so in this room, man, if someone comes to you and and bears their heart of confession and guilt, man, meet them with the grace that you desire. Meet them with the forgiveness that brings you life. Meet them with that, that, that aspect of Christ is going to remind them and point them back to the goodness of God that they so desperately need the same way you so desperately need. And this all brings us to this moment where, man, man those takeaways, they, they land us in a place where we become this empowered body community that goes out to McAllen. It goes out to the whole dang valley. And, and communicates, not just in word, but look at me, look at me, communicates in action the actual grace and mercy of God. What greater role can you aspire to at your job, 
even in your family, as much as I love being a dad, as much as I love being a husband, there's no greater role that I could aspire to than to legitimately walk out these doors and act as an ambassador, the literal physical manifestation of the grace and kindness and love that Christ desires to give, not just the people in here, but the best part is the one he desires to give all the people out there. The one he wants them to have. That when you when you start working in this rhythm of forgiveness, working in this rhythm of grace, that as a community, you are empowered, and as a community, you are enabled by God's spirit at work in you, by the grace you show to one another to be a witness to everyone out there about the goodness of God that they need. And so I wanna, I wanna challenge us today. I do, I wanna challenge us. I wanna challenge us in a couple of ways. I want to challenge us in two ways specifically, and I want to ask you a question, man, how are you interacting with this forgiveness? How are you doing with this? How are you doing with this? How are you doing? Like, for real. I don't mean like, how often do you read the Bible? I don't mean like, how often do you pray? Those things are the means by which we we continue to gain an understanding of this forgiveness. But what I more want to know is, man, how are you doing with the reality that you've been forgiven? And how often are you returning to this reality? And then I want to ask you the second, uh, the second backup follow-up question is, man, who are you going to in order to be reminded of this reality? Who are you going to in order to be reminded of this reality? Where are you going for that? Where are you going? And I want to give you a clue. Man, your wife, your husband is a great choice. If they're the only one you list off, that's not a good thing. So I want to ask you that question, man. Like, where is it that you go to be reminded of this reality? These questions are the questions that are going to be posed to us, right? Like, like as, as we're growing, these questions are the ones that are legitimately right there that, that, are, that are calling us to be closer to Jesus. As he calls us and goes, hey, man, come closer. Those are the questions that we're probably going to interact with the most. Like when you're saying like, yo, I want to, I want to get closer to God. I want to, I want to grow in my faith. Those questions are probably the biggest ones. Now, how am I interacting and being reminded of God's forgiveness? Who am I actually going to to remind me of that? I want to encourage you, man, if you, if you legitimately start working in a rhythm where, man, you're trying, you're going back to this forgiveness, you're going back to this grace, and in addition, you're forming communities around the idea that I need to go back to this grace, then, man, your spiritual life, it will grow. And I'm not saying that your life itself will get easier, because remember, my daughter, that was not easier. <laughs> That was not easier, but man, it was more full. And if you can start working and interacting in this way, going back to God's grace, interact with community that points you back there, then man, life may not get easier. It may stay exactly the same. Shoot, it might get harder. But I promise you, the fullness of your heart, the fullness of your faith, the health of your spiritual, emotional, mental condition, man, that will improve. That will improve. And that's my desire for you today. I think that's God's desire for you today. Can we pray? All right, Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much, God, that you, um, man, by your blood have forgiven us. And by that blood, we now claim an amazing space of being a son, being a daughter of the Most High. We now uh, have the space to know that we're yours. We're no longer ours. We don't belong to the world. We don't belong to the enemy. Man, we are a son of God. And so I want to thank you for that today, God. 
I want to ask that you would help us, that your spirit would empower us to remember the beauty of that grace, remember the beauty of that forgiveness, that we would return to that forgiveness time and time again. In the moments where we feel small, even in the moments where we feel big, God, let us return to our need for your grace and let us find um, the satisfaction, let us find the affection, let us find the love that we only gain when we come to you. We thank you, we love you, God. I ask that you would just build a community in this place, continue to build a community in this place. Man, it is an awesome church. I pray that those that may be on the outside of those relationships right now, that you would move in their hearts to bring them closer. Draw them into this community. We love you. We thank you. God, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, And so Marco informed me that uh, regularly after the sermon, there is a time of offering, a time to give back, both in worship um, and in giving. And so over the course, uh, I want to pray for our uh, offering time, ask the ushers to, to come do their thing. Uh, but let's pray for that, and then we'll, I'm going to transition over to Mark, and he'll be guiding us through, obviously, the rest of the gathering. Uh, we love you. We thank you, God. I ask that you would bless this time of offering and uh, of, of giving back. I ask that you would fill our heart with the desire to respond to your word, to respond to your goodness, and to respond to your grace. Uh, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.